You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Uh, uh, Nigel Kerwin, five four three two one zero. Ten nine eight seven six five four three two one. I will not hold it against Nigel that he went to Western. <laughs> That's a lie. Guelph. <laughs> you Guelph. Yeah. You work at McDonald's. <laughs> Welcome once again to a special interview edition of Thirty Two Thoughts, the podcast presented by GMC and the new Sierra AT Four X. Today you're going to meet Nigel Kerwin. He's the longest-standing employee of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He is their video coach in Elliott. He's seen it all, having joined the organization three weeks before the 1992 expansion draft. Now, spot quiz, first player Tampa took in the expansion draft. Exactly, Elliot. It was Wendell Young. Brian Bradley went in that draft as well. And a little bit of Merrick trivia for you. Keith Osborne was selected in that one. Why is Keith Osborne Merrick trivia? He's the only player I played hockey with that made it to the NHL. Mm. Drafted by St. Louis, traded to Toronto for Darren Veach, picked up by Tampa in the expansion draft. Anyway, your thoughts on Nigel before we hear from him. Now, this is a long-winded way of you introducing our guest, is it not? As usual, yeah. You should be used to that by now. (laughs) Suck up all the oxygen on the podcast these days. So, Nigel Kerwin is the longest-serving current Lightning employee. Correct. He's been there 30 years. As he says in the interview, he got there just before the expansion draft you referenced, and he has seen it all. You know, we've done a lot of Lightning interviews over the years. Yeah. And we wanted to do something a little different. They're very accommodating. You know, you ask them if you can get somebody, and they go out of their way to try and make it happen. That's true. And so we wanted somebody a little different, somebody who knew good stories about the team. And you may not know who Nigel is before this interview, but I guarantee everybody one thing, Jeff, Mm -hmm. you're going to remember him after this interview. The stories are great. And my only disappointment is that there were more. Mm. There may have to be a part two because after we did the interview, one former Lightning player came forward and said, hey, I heard you were doing this. Here's a couple of stories. And we'd already done the interview. But you know what? I did a journalism. (laughs) Okay. I did a journalism and asked Nigel the stories. You want to, first of all, talk about what uh, Player X told you? Yes. So Player X said there were a couple of things there. Number one, apparently Nigel brags that he used to crush Martin Saint-Louis in pregame table tennis. Mm -hmm. And B, and this one I find really funny, he is deathly afraid of moths. M-O-T-H-S. Moths. So as I said, I did a journalism and texted him and asked both those questions. And the response is, to the table tennis question, he says uh, he probably won about 55% of the time. He said that part of his pregame ritual... Uh, Marty's was, or his game day ritual, was playing table tennis against Nigel. So that's interesting. And to the question about moths, he said, absolutely true. When he was four or five years old, he was running around and a giant moth flew into his mouth. It got trapped and died in there. And ever since then, he's been traumatized and is horribly afraid of moths. So there you go, Elliot. I did a journalism for the podcast today. 
I just want to say that's great stuff. By the way. I just want to say he's a great talker. He, he told is, great man. stories, and we really enjoyed this interview. And we hope that you will too. I suspect you will. Enjoy. Here's Nigel. Listen to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Elliot, if you've ever wondered who the most dangerous man in the Tampa Bay Lightning organization is, you are sitting across from him. He is Nigel Kerwin. He is a video coach for the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning and is a pretty close to day oneer. So you know all the stories where all the bodies are buried. (laughs) You are the most dangerous man in the Tampa Bay Lightning organization, Nigel. Theoretically, I have a good book I could write, but uh, a lot of things I probably can't reveal, but yes. (laughs) You know, Tampa is such a fascinating organization. There's so many different directions we can go to, but when you think back to the beginnings of you with the Tampa Bay Lightning, like putting the team together, the expansion draft, Phil Esposito, all of it. Like, what are the memories that come back right away for you? Well, it wasn't a direction I was planning on going in. Like, I didn't see myself working in hockey. I was getting ready to do a career, I thought, either in financial advising or thinking about the FBI. I had a criminology finance background. And so I was kind of heading in that direction. But I, while I was in, I'd gone back to school in the University of Tampa, and while I was doing that, I, I got a, a, a job with the Buccaneers, and that kind of led me to the Lightning. So it was something that kind of, fell in my lap kind of unexpectedly. Yeah. Um, so when I think about it, I was really meeting, the interview with Phil Esposito was, it was absurd. Not absurd, but it was, it was a little nut. <laughs> it was Phil. It was Phil. And it wasn't what I expected it to be. So, so tell us, like, what, what did he ask you? What did he say to you? <laughs> so I'm in the process of getting hired. The guy who, some of the Buccaneers recommended me to a friend of his who got hired as a sales director. That guy wanted to hire me. I was in Tampa. I had a little bit of a hockey background. So now I, I got to the point where I'd met the vice president of marketing and sales, a guy named Steve Donner. And I went in to interview with him and meet with him. And I thought that was going to be the final interview before they told me I was going to get the job or not. And so I'm sitting with these two gentlemen in an office. And, uh, this, you know, they're asking all the questions. And uh, he goes, okay, well, you, you got one more step here. We got to gotta take you to meet the big boss. And I'm like, oh, who's that? Not thinking it's going to be Phil Esposito. I'm a 20 year old kid who's uh, love, grew up playing hockey Canada, and I'm not thinking I'm meeting with Phil Esposito. It's not that important a position. He goes, yeah. "You got to meet the Phil," and I'm like, "Esposito?" And he's like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Oh no!" So now I start sweating. Now I'm like, "Oh, I wasn't ready for this," because in my mind, this is the legend of the game. So I walk down to his office, and I'm panicked at this point. But I'm like, "Okay, you got this. You got this." And I sit down with Phil. In retrospect, I should have been panicked, but. Uh, and sit down opposite Phil. He goes, ah, so where are you from? I said, I'm from Winnipeg, Canada. He goes, Winnipeg? Is the Palomino still there? And he starts talking about this bar ah, in, in, yes, in the Palomino. In the Palomino. Yeah. So uh, I said, yeah, yeah, Palom- I'm yeah, pretty sure the Palomino's still there. You know, I've been out of Winnipeg for a few years. But So he started talking about the Palomino. And he started telling stories about the Palomino and, and just stories on the road and Winnipeg and you know a lot, of, a lot of different things. And this went on for 20 minutes. He asked me a bunch of questions about Winnipeg and playing hockey and, uh, and told me more stories about Cashman and the, the Russia series. And uh, he just told me story after story after story for about 20 minutes. I laughed and kind of giggled, contributed here and there. And afterwards, he went like, all right, that's good. I think uh, I like him. I like him. <laughs> and, uh, and so the other two tapped me on the shoulder. Like it was like the scene of the, like the Godfather. Like, okay, let's get him out of here now. So they pull me out and we're walking away. And I'm like, 
was that it? Is that the interview? He didn't really ask me any questions. He goes, no, no, that's it. You know, like he just told me war stories. It was all he did for 20 <laughs> minutes. And so I realized now that I know Phil, I've been around him forever. It's par for the course with him. But uh, for a 20 year old kid thinking he was stepping into a job, I thought it was going to be a little more serious of an interview than it actually was. So. Hey, you, you dropped something a second ago that we, we can't just leave out there. Uh-oh. From wanting to work with the FBI yeah. to going to hockey. That's yeah. not that's not the traditional story. Here. No, finance and criminology were my majors. And I didn't and know- which university? I finished University of Tampa. I went to University of Western Ontario. Then- Ugh. Are you a Western guy? Yeah. You're a yeah. Western? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. I never graduated, but, but I went You're a Western there. guy. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the, yes. Only the best. Only, only the, the best. best. That's right. That's I, may, right. I may leave now. <laughs> leave you two purples together. Go Stangs. So I was thinking about, you know, applying the FBI, but really probably going to go financial management or something along those lines. Again, I was working for the Buccaneers, not as a career thing. It was an opportunity to be a ball boy for one game years ago. No way. Uh, And I said, yes. I mean, who's not going to do it? I was 20 or something years old. Who's not going to be at a sign on the sideline of an NFL football game? And one turned into two, turned turned into four, six, eight. And then I ended up doing that for about three football seasons. And then during that time, Phil was trying to get the franchise going. And, but that was kind of in the background, not really paying too much attention to it. And by the time I graduated, it was kind of up and running. It was probably about a month or two away from the expansion draft. Mm-hmm. And that's when somebody, the Bucks, connected me to somebody who got hired at the Lightning. And that's how the interview process started. And I, I got hired. And then I was just like, I kind of forgot about where I was going and just did yeah. that. So Now, you were a pretty good hockey player, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I was not a very good hockey oh, player. So. I actually heard you were a pretty good player. Well, then someone lied to you because I was not. <laughs> looking, I thought I was, but looking back on it, no. Hang I'm on, hang on. If player. you were doing video on you as a player, what would your report say? Fourth line checker, minimal skill, a little bit of speed, uh, can't finish. Uh, that, that'd be probably my report. <laughs> Harsh, <laughs> tough crowd. Yeah, yeah. But you separated from your family for a while to pursue hockey, right? Uh, well, kind of, yes. I, what, what happened was we were... My dad was a doctor, and and he did some medical work in Winnipeg, did his residency in Winnipeg, uh, and then he wanted to practice in the States. He got a job in North Dakota, and that had to do with government licensing and and some laws that were going in to kind of reduce the flow of foreign doctors coming at the time. So he kind of moved in on the deadline so he didn't have to spend an extra two years passing all these other courses and exams and stuff. But we went to a really rural place in North Dakota, and my dad, who was pretty strict about education, said – you know, my son can't go to school. My son's not going to go to school here, right? So he knew the headmaster of a boarding school back in Winnipeg. So I went back to boarding school when I was old enough, which was nine years old. I went to a place in Winnipeg called St. John's Ravenscourt. So I don't think the intention was to play hockey, okay. but um, it was more of an educational thing. And so I went back to Winnipeg and ended up staying there. In the meantime, that move to North Dakota was always temporary. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we used to take these giant long vacations during the summer where we drive around the country every summer for six weeks. I now know it was because they were trying to figure out where they wanted to live. They eventually settled on Tampa. So we moved to Tampa when I'm going to high school, but <laughs> this is hard to believe, but I chose, I didn't want to go to Tampa. I did not want to leave Winnipeg. <laughs> and so I chose Winnipeg over Tampa. And they reluctantly let me stay in boarding school in Winnipeg. Mm. By that point, I yes, I wanted to play hockey. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, and Tampa didn't really offer at the time. So I stayed in Winnipeg. They kind of grew up in Tampa. Well, the next time you go, the Lightning go and play the Jets, you're going to get a standing ovation <laughs> there because you're, you're the one guy who ever made that choice. Actually, uh, I did see Steven Stamkos get a standing ovation in Winnipeg once. He uh, when he scored that when he scored his 60th goal, mm-hmm. it was in Winnipeg on the road. I remember because Guy Boucher was coaching and I was on the bench. The place was booing him incessantly. Every time he touched the puck, they were just giving it to him. And then he scored with like minutes left in the game to get a 60th. A little, little lull, and then uh, they all stood up and gave him a routing, uh, like a big standing ovation. So pulls up inside the line, looking for help. Gets it low. San Luis back in front again. Stamkos scores. Number 60 for Steven Stamkos. What a class move by the crowd here. Pretty awesome. That was actually pretty cool, yeah. We talked to Todd McClellan about this when we sat down with the Kings uh, coach a couple of weeks ago, and I'll ask you the same thing because this is the sweet spot of the bat for you. Going way back to the beginning doing video for an NHL team, were you the master of the VCR to VCR edit? 
I wasn't when I started, but I quickly, I quickly <laughs> became that. Yeah, yeah, exactly what it was. It was VCR to VCR. It was like multiple tape decks all looped together, and it was yeah. pause, play, pause, play on each one to to kind of get what you needed. So it took a lot longer back then to do a lot less. So like you've seen a change, like that technology, it's huge, like you, huge. Like you, now it's so. How different is your job now? Like how much faster can you do your job? Like I said back then. You couldn't do as much, but what you could, what you, what you had to do, took you way longer, right? So nowadays, I don't know that it's changed in terms of the amount of time. It's probably become more demanding because, and now most teams have two video coaches. Like there's, we have two. Brian Garlock being the other video coach for the Lightning, mm-hmm. but I find now there's we got asked for more because the number one, the coaching staffs are much larger than they used to be. When I started, it was three, four coaches on the on a, on a team now you got seven guys so so you have a lot more people tugging at you for different things but you can do a lot more you have access a lot more it's all digitized on you know it's all computerized so there's analytics now so there's it's really wide in that regard so it's now become a two-man job so it takes me less time to do a lot more but you get asked for a lot more as you mentioned you started off i guess in sales yeah and then was it terry crisp who came and said yeah i want you to move on the coaching staff yeah i actually told him to go fly a kite. That's not the <laughs> exact words I use, but I'll let you fill in the blanks. Why did he, why did he come to you? So you got to remember at the beginning of the lightning, it was a, it's not like organizations are now. There was like 30 of us or 40 of us trying to launch hockey in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I was 20 years old. I had zero clue what I was doing from a sales standpoint. Like I, you know, that was again, not my career path at the time. So, I got involved because I, I, I've been hired by the team. I got asked, and there's a lack of youth hockey coaches in the area at the time. I got asked to coach amateur hockey or youth hockey. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I got very involved in the, in the youth community in Tampa, which wasn't very big at the time. There was not a lot of kids playing. And I was coaching the, the midget hockey team at, at the time, or helping out, I should say. What ended up happening was you had all these couple organizations that were around reaching out to the Lightning all the time, saying, can you help us with this? Can you get us money for this? Can you get us tickets for this? Can you?" And so the executives were constantly coming into my office because I was the only one in the office connected to the community. So they come and ask me questions all the time. And then they quickly figured out that they needed to put their arms around this a little bit. And so they gave me, because <laughs> we had no money and was trying to start off, they put another hat on my head. Um, and said, you're now the director of amateur hockey for the Lightning. So I was a salesperson, but I also became the amateur hockey director. Wait a minute. Did they give you the, we can't give you a raise, but we can give you a title? That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what I, I'm not even sure they went as far as say, I'm not even sure they say we can't give you a raise. I think they just put, you now this, added a line in my business card, and there was no discussion of salary whatsoever. Um, but at that age, I was just happy to have a job at that point. So I became, the, this is a long way of saying, I became the amateur hockey director, went to USA Hockey uh, training program. Mm-hmm. I became the guy that certified amateur hockey coaches in, in really in Florida. If you wanted to coach youth hockey you had to get certified, I was one of the instructors. I got sick and tired of doing these clinics by myself. So I started bringing Terry Crisp, Wayne Cashman, Danny Gare, wow. Bobby the Chief Taylor. I started bringing them in as guest speakers because I thought it'd be better for the students to hear from a real coach as opposed to me. And so that led to lunches with Crispy afterwards and with Chief and Cash and just picking their brains and scribbling down on napkins, asking questions about how they did things or how do you handle this face off or this D zone. Um, you know, and again, we were a small company anyway, so we were always, you know, there was more interaction with the staff and the, and the players and uh, sorry, the, the, the hockey operations department than there is now. It's a little more segregated now, but. Between Bobby Taylor and Terry Crisp, how many old. Philadelphia Flyers brawl stories have you heard in your life? You know, one of the coolest things that happened to me early on that I'll never forget is we did a promotional caravan down to South Florida, like Fort Myers, Naples. Yeah, I was wearing my sales hat at this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got on a bus and we were doing street hockey clinics and we were making ticket appearances and that kind of stuff. And I was on a bus with like three employees. It was Terry Crisp, Danny Gare, Wayne Cashman, Tony Esposito, God rest his soul, Phil, I may be missing one or two others. And uh, obviously there was cases of beer on the bus and you get those guys going a little bit. And it was awesome to hear all the different stories. Again, from Tony Esposito, Phil Esposito, 
cash, crispy. Yeah. Um, and as a 20 year old kid from Canada, who that was, that was kind of the era, you know, a little bit early, but it was the era of hockey I kind of grew up with and, uh, incredible experience, uh, something I'll, I'll never forget. And, and, you know, that's when I, you know, heard that, you know, the Canada series and the stuff in Russia and s- some yeah. stories like, you know, I think there's a story out there, about Wayne Cashman undoing the chandelier that crashed. And yeah. that's the Try first to find the microphone. Yes, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, first yeah. time I heard that story yeah. was yeah. on that. I was at a caravan. So it was a 20 year old kid or 22 year old kid. It was a really cool experience uh, to be on, on, on this bus. And again, it was this giant bus, but there's only eight of us on there and three of us had nothing to do with playing in the NHL. So it was just storytelling time. So how did Chris get you to say yes to the, if you initially said go fly a kite. I, so he walks in my office mm-hmm. and um, I, he was notorious for playing pranks on me and people, but especially me. I don't know how we got to that point, but he, he's a practical joker. So he walks in my office and um, I had a marketing report due for a guy named Steve Donner that was late that I've been procrastinating on. He was finally getting on me to get this thing in. So I really didn't have time to waste with one of Crispy's jokes. So Crispy comes in and uh, I'm actually the third video coach the Lightning have ever had. There was two guys before me. They let him go, decided not to hire anybody for the season. And uh, right before the season started, they decided, you know, we need somebody. So I didn't know this, but Crispy comes in my office, decides that's going to be me. I think he's joking. Tell him to go take a hike because I got to get this report done. He's trying to tell me, no, no, you can do blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm not qualified. I didn't play at a high enough level. Like, I'm not the guy. Like, I can't do this in the NHL. No way. In my head, he's joking. And he finally gets up. My, my office faced the door. Most of my office that way, but there was a chair that faced this way. He got up. He slammed the door shut. He picked up the chair. He turned it so it was facing me. He sat down and said, I want you to come work for me. And so I'm like, all right, I'll bite. So we dig into it a little bit more. And uh, I'm, again, I'm, I'm yesing him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He said something about they're going to probably come talk to you. You're the only guy I want. They're going to offer you some money. It's not, it's no, there's nobody else, so make sure you ask for more. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. He, he leaves. A few minutes later, the vice president of the Lightning comes in, and again, my immediate thought is, okay, he's in on it too. He <laughs> comes in in front of me, and he goes, talk to Crispy. He goes, yeah. He goes, well, we're thinking this number. And I'm like, no, I want this number. I threw out a number. Again, this is not happening. No way. I'm getting hired to an NHL hockey staff. He leaves. Nothing happens. I don't think about it. The next day, I come in. They got paperwork in front of me. They put it in front of me. I, and people don't believe this, but I signed it. And I threw it at them like, okay, are we done with this now? He takes it and he walks out. And nothing happened for about half an hour. Like no one came in. And uh, I kind of, I went out of the office. I looked. I'm waiting for them. Ah, nothing. And then I sat down. Huh. I went, oh, my God. I just changed my career. And I, <laughs> I had no. So then I walked down to the vice president's uh, office. I said, hey, about that thing I signed is that serious he goes yeah 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 you know Chris will talk to you but yeah you're gonna we're gonna move you over to the hockey operations side and and I went back okay and I acted like okay I I knew that and I walked back and I'm like (laughs) oh no because I didn't think I was I could do it like I thought not qualified for this right so panic set in at that point because I just changed my career and I had no intention of doing that and uh, it's ended up being just a, a tremendous blessing Wow. So since you've been through this organization and so many different, not just players, but people have gone through, would it be safe to say that you have a story about most, if not all, of the players that have that have gone through? Like if, if I throw a random name at you. Player-wise? Yeah. Would you have a story about Possibly. That? Like when you're on the coaching side of things, you don't hang out with the players, you know, a, sure. a, a lot. So, you know, away from the rink, I, I don't know that I have a ton of stories there. There's a few that I wonder about. Yeah. And one is Menor Rayom. Menor Rayom, yeah. What do you remember from that situation? So I was not in hockey operations when she got hired, but okay. I, I, I do remember her coming to the organization and Crispy uh, being the coach. I heard rumblings about a little bit of a concern about whether we were actually going to play her or not in a game. Yeah. Again, but I was not on the hockey operations. I don't know the details of this. We were doing everything we can, from what I understand, to get attention to the team. Sure. Like that. And I think Phil really wanted to make a splash. And Manon Rayon was a really talented female goalie, and there was an opportunity there. And she deserved a, she deserved the opportunity. So the only thing I know about it was Phil brought her in. Right. I think there was some concerns about whether she could or could not play in an actual game or not. I think she played in a preseason game. Yep. It, was, it was not a big deal. So it ended up being a big splash for us and a, and, and, and a really good thing. So so the, the other one, and I'm going to kind of go on a fishing trip here, and I really want this story to be true. So if it's not, can you lie to me and tell me that it is? <laughs> if I know the story, yeah. So 
I think Rick Dudley is one of the most interesting people in hockey. For sure. I am forever going back to the bandana and the Cincinnati For Stingers. Sure. Yes. I am full on Rick Dudley. Is it true that there was a time where he got right into feng shui, Chinese wind water principle, interior design, and redesigned the Tampa room and the gym and all that based on wind water principle? I, I don't know all the details of feng shui, but that is absolutely 100% true. <laughs> yes. The locker room was red. You walked into our locker room and it was red and black. The, the striping. I know you've been in our locker yep. room. You know the locker room. So where the the blue stripes with the black trim on the side goes down the wall, mm-hmm. that for several years was red and black. Really? And it had to, everything to do. And again, I know nothing about feng shui. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But it had everything to do with feng shui. I know that there was... What was in the ceiling? There were things in the ceiling tiles. Like if you went into the ceiling tiles of the locker room, was it was it stones? There was something. There was a water fountain in the in the gym. There was like one of those pebble garden waterfall yep. things that was plugged yeah. in. That that was in the gym. And then there was uh, there was stuff in the ceiling tiles in the locker room itself too. I don't remember what it was, but I know there was stuff in the ceiling. I think it was also rocks or something like that that were hidden there, and it was all yeah. feng shui related. But that's Do you remember how the true. players reacted. I think I remember about everyone reacting is everyone anytime you brought somebody to the locker room like the family or friends or whatever locker, they always would you know have that puzzled look like <laughs> why is everything red and black and you have to look you have to go like well our GM's into feng shui there's a waterfall over yeah and there's a waterfall in the, in the, in the, in the gym but Rick Dudley's one of my favorite people that I've ever come I to. think he's I, fascinating I love man. Rick Dudley he's uh, how many times I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the answer is you have seen describe his workouts well, first of all, he works out like four times. He, he's yes. not a guy you want to. He's always been like that. He's a big man. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how old he is now, but I would not want to fight him. He is a thick, strong guy. He worked out all the time. He's very intense. Yeah. Like, I wasn't there for it, but I remember he ripped out a, a water fountain, he, uh, one of those water fountain things out of the wall once uh, in a game. He actually threatened to fire me one time for not staying out and drinking with him. <laughs> we were on the road to Philadelphia and, uh, and he doesn't, he's not a drinker. Like he's not a big drinker, but one night he, he, he got into a couple and uh, everyone kind of left. So I said, all right. One time I was like, I got to go to bed. He's like, no, no, you're, you're sitting here. I have another one. We have another one. We never drink. What about, but you have another one. And so I sat with him, had one. I said, okay, I got to go. He goes, no, you have, you have another. I said, no, Rick, I'm, I'm going. Like I'm done. And he actually got mad. He goes, you shit down there and you have another air. Like he, just, he just growl <laughs> about him. Yes. And all you can think is, I've seen him doing shoulder yeah. presses before and I'm going to do whatever he said. But I blew him off. I kind of like, he's not, he's not serious. And then I was like, no, I'm going to bed. He goes, you won't have a jaw tomorrow. You don't sit down there. And Rick, you can't fire me for not having a drink. And he goes, yes, I can. I absolutely can. I'll sit down and. And so, uh, yeah, so he did, he, yeah, he did threaten me one time to, to fire me if I didn't have a drink with him. So, and we felt it the next day, let me put it that way. <laughs> so this is a perfect time for me to ask this question. What are the great stories about the Tampa Bay Lightning that have never been told? <laughs> a lot I can't tell, but there's a, I can tell you one time, it was previous ownership, previous GM. I'm not going to say any names, but one of the wildest things I saw was we had a situation once where two of the owners weren't getting along very well. Some factions had kind of developed in the office. The GM was on one side, some executives were on the other side, and one executive was going on a trip to New York on the team plane. The GM found out about it at the time, and again, this is going back a number of years, so it's not connected to Eisenman or Julian or Vinick or anything like mm-hmm. that. I'll just say it happened well before that. The GM found out that this executive was going on the plane and he was on the wrong faction. And he went to our travel guy and said, uh, I don't want this guy on the airplane. If this guy gets on the airplane, I, he cannot go on the airplane. I do not want the airplane. You're fired if he gets on the airplane. It's like, okay. So next day we show up to the flight and uh, the guy comes into the FBO. And our travel guy's like, hey, you, uh, listen, this is really awkward, but the GM says you can't go on the team plane. The executive's like, Ryan, I'm sorry in the middle of all this stuff, but, you know, like, it's not your fault, but I'm getting on the airplane. He goes, well, I'm just telling you the GM doesn't want you in their plane. He gets the owner on the phone. He gives the owner to uh, our travel guy. Our travel guy says, hello. He goes, Ryan, I understand you're in a difficult spot here, but he's the general manager. I'm the owner. I want this guy on the plane. He's getting on the plane. No problem. Guy gets on the plane. GM comes walking in, finds out the executive's on the plane, calls over the travel guy. Travel guy, 
I told you not to let him on the airplane. He goes, I know, but I just, we put the owner on the phone, the owner, he goes, he's not the owner of the team. He's going to be out as the owner. We're all watching this. And uh, the travel guy's like, uh, well, I, it's news to me. He's not, I don't, I'm not, a, is he an owner right now? He goes, no, he's not an owner, blah, blah, blah. So, all right. So he goes out to the airplane, tries to kick the guy off. The Oof. guy won't come off the airplane. Jeez. It gets ugly. GM wants to call the cops or their lead flight girls. Like, no, we're not calling the police. We can handle this. So the guy comes off the airplane, huge screaming match between the general manager and uh, the executive right on the tarmac. Everyone sees this the guy gets off the airplane. We get up, we get on the airplane. General manager calls a travel guy up to the front of the plane, fires him on the, in the middle of the trip. We're going to New York. Guy comes back and goes, I just got fired. We're like, for what? He goes for letting the executive on the airplane. He goes, they can't, they, they can't. Are you serious? He goes, yeah. And apparently the, the GM had said like, he's not an owner. He's not, he's no longer an owner of the team. And which wasn't true. He was an owner of the team that it, it, he still was in fact, one of the owners. And, uh, but then fired him, said, when you, when we land, got the team credit card, book yourself a flight back to Tampa, get yourself a car, but you're done. And then as we're approaching into New York, he hired the guy back again. Like he told him like, yeah, he, he, he allowed him to hire. So I, I've seen some really <laughs> wow crazy stuff like that. One time I once again, I want to mention that we had a player and coach get into it on an airplane and coach threw the player off the airplane Right on the tarmac, left him, plane took off, left the guy on the tarmac. Whoa. is always interesting. What was he like to work for? Awesome. Yeah. He's not the ogre that everyone portrays him to mm-hmm. be. Like, he, and I understand he can sometimes be a little difficult with media, but to work for him, he's, he's unreal. Like, he's fantastic. Definitely one of my favorites. So I got, I got into it with him a few times, but they're, they're always funny when you, when you get into it. So he just forgets about it the next day, right? He, he's really good about, like, yeah. he gets into it with you and it's, it's over with. One time we got on an airplane and uh, we just went, we got computers for the first time. Uh, we, we were making that switch and um, they were a little glitchy back then. So it was always giving us a little bit of problems. And he, the plane we sat on, I sat across from. I'd, my back was to the cockpit. And Jeff Reese, our goalie coach, was to my left. And Craig Ramsey was in the other corner. There's four of us in that front compartment. And uh, he's just MFing me like because of the computer glitches. And he's just <laughs> giving it to me, giving it to me. And I had this bad habit. I mumble, like I do the uh, under my breath. I get it from my mom. And I started doing that. Not, and I never realized I'm doing it. And he saw me, right? And he goes, you got something you want to say to me? And I, now I'm caught, right? I'm like, oh, no. He goes, you got something you want to say to me? Say it. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He goes, say it. Have some, got to be careful what I say here. Have some guts. Guts and say it. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. And, he, and he's just needling me and needling me and needling me. And finally, I'm, I'm losing it, right? Craig Ramsey and Jeffries aren't even paying attention. And they're so used to him and I going at each other. And uh, finally I say, you know what, Torts? There's times like this where I just want to punch you right in the freaking head. And he goes, well, just try it. Well, I'm right here. Freaking try it. I go, I will try. You keep running your mouth. I try it. I'm right here. Try it. I go, I will try. Run your mouth some more. I will try it. I'm not I'm swearing, by the way. He, got, he said one of the greatest things I ever heard in my life. He goes, well, that seatbelt isn't unbuckle itself. Right? So, so now I'm yelling at him, but I start to giggle while I'm doing it, right? And he's yelling at me and he starts to giggle. So we're yelling at each other, just swearing at each other, but we're not, we, we're no longer, we're giggling and laughing the whole time. Craig Ramsey and Jeffries don't know what to make of it. They're just like staring, like, what the hell is going on over there? But that's how he was, you know, like that in the middle of this. Like, I thought we we're going to, once I thought we we're going to go fight. And next thing I know, we're just laughing hysterically as we're trying to, you know, curse each other out so i want to ask you about just what it's like with some of the the current guys kucherov demanding guy like stamkos demanding guy he looks friendly but i understand very demanding guy like just what's it like to be around these guys they're all great guys mm-hmm. cooch is a one thing people don't know about cooch is uh his work ethic marty st louis might be the only other one i can think of when I think of players that are dedicated to their craft and leave no stone unturned, Kucherov and Marty, and, I, and I, Marty's going to kill me because I'm really tight with them, but I might even have to give Kuch the edge over Marty in terms of how much he works at his game. When the season's over, Kuch takes a week or two off, and then he's on the ice every day all summer on Brandon Bynes working on his skills. And he doesn't like it when other people aren't uh, keeping up with him in terms of uh, working at his, at his craft. He's, he's unreal in that regard. In the locker room, pretty quiet. 
Like he doesn't say a whole lot. I, I think people remember when we won the cup, the whole, oh, yeah. uh, uh, are you serious? Are you, are you kidding me? That whole thing. But that's not, that was the cooch I don't, I'd have never seen before. He had a few pops in him, of course, could be just one, but um, that's not the normal cooch. Cooch is very quiet, very laid back, real soft spoken. And Stammer, I've been with, I've been with Stammer a real long time, and, and Stammer is just a, a, a great guy, good captain, good leader, and, and, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're both just huge parts of our team, but individually they're, they're fantastic people. So very different personalities. What do you remember about that Columbus series and afterwards? Oh. Because there were, I remember going into the draft that year and there were all kinds of Tampa's blowing it up. This guy's going here. That guy's going there. They're not going to like there was, it was wild yeah. with the rumors. I can only imagine what it must've been like to be there it was stunning like uh i don't know what other word to use but stunned like i remember game one we had a i don't remember the score i'm terrible scores but i think it was the 3-1 lead or the backup goalie didn't thought he was going in for columbus and he didn't want to go no in. Yeah. matter of fact <laughs> i think the maybe the best thing torts did was not pulling but was bob is Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky, right? yeah was not pulling but i wish he'd pulled him <laughs> um but he stuck with bob and bob was great after that and um, they came back and they beat us. And uh, Duchesne knocked down his clearing attempt. Jones goes in and digs it free to the center point. Wierenski to Panarin. Back to Jones. He shoots and he scores! I'm jonesing for a power play goal. And Seth Jones just buried it. Kind of set us back a little bit. But I, I wasn't concerned. We, we played a really good game and got a little unlucky. Then they win game two. So now... Panic, not panic, then started to set in, but it just got a little heavy. And then uh, after game three, I, just, I think the, the weight and the pressure may have done us in after that. We hadn't found our way yet as a team. Like we, and and um, the what I remember about it was driving out of Columbus after we'd just been swept and uh, how painfully quiet. We were all stunned. Like it, it was just, we were shocked. No one expected mm. to get it's one thing to lose a series. You lose it, you know, in seven or whatever, but to get swept was after winning the president's trophy. I think we were all shocked and devastated, but I, I got to tip my hat off to Julian Brisebois. We stayed the course. You see a lot of teams yeah. blow up after that and they make a lot of changes and we didn't, we, we made a tweak. We may have made a tweak or two. I don't remember what they were, but um, you, you got to give your hats off to the general manager. If we just stayed the course and then won it uh, in, in 2020. So if the 2004 Tampa Bay Lightning, I get this a lot, were to drop the puck against the 2020 and 21 Tampa Bay Lightning, seven game series. So I get this question a lot. No matter what I say, I'm going to tick one side off or another. Um, Got to remember two different styles of hockey. So the 04 team won with the red line. Yeah. The 2020, 2021 didn't win mm-hmm. with the red line. So what rules are we playing under? Hey, you decide. You decide. <laughs> Come on, help me out. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is your interview. You pick. I'll say this. I think if we're playing without the red line, the 20 team wins. If we're playing with the red line, I think the 04 team wins. How about coming right down the middle with that one? <laughs> All right. Okay, let, let, me, let me see if this will get anything. Did the gel in a shot go in? Did not go in. Well, remember game six, there was a goal at one point that looked like it had crossed the line, but it never counted. The NHL ruled that it didn't go in. That was the shot that we had. Our guys worked very hard on this computer animation to see if we could look at it from a different angle. Not scientific, and they made certain assumptions, including the height of the puck. But the computer animation that we generated with the only information we had shows the NHL absolutely made the right call. There's no way they could conclusively say it was over the line. I personally stand corrected. I said it was in that it was was in. We all did, but the NHL was adamant in their replay look. The entire puck has to be over the goal line. I have a brother that's a big Calgary fan. He says, I think it was in. I said, what? He says, I think it was in. I said, you think or you know? He said, I think. There's your answer. It has to be conclusive. 100%. I recall a Canadian company seeking out to prove that it did go in. I saw this on TV, and I want to say it was a don't hold me to this. I want to say a company out of Edmonton 
took known measurements, redigitized the whole thing, yeah. and then they rotated the whole thing. <laughs> parallax angle. So that's the thing that people don't know anything about is yeah. parallax angle. And if you look, the, the angle that it looks like the puck was in is from the front of the net yeah. looking down. The puck's in the air, and you, you can see the red line. So it, it looks like it's crossed, but it's in front and in the air. And I know a Canadian company went out who set out to prove that it was a, a goal and up proving that it wasn't. And actually, Sutter came on. Daryl Sutter yeah. did say it was. Daryl Sutter came on and said, yes. uh, now I know nobody in Calgary is, <laughs> wants to hear that, and I apologize. But uh, I have not seen an angle that tells yeah. me that puck legitimately went in. So. At the time, I think a lot of us were kind of surprised that Calgary lined up to face off as quickly as they did. Like I thought, if this thing's close, like, don't take the draw. Yeah. Like, do you remember the thing like, whew, okay, they're going to the draw. Okay, good. Let's just... Well, actually, no, I was not, I was not panicked about it because I didn't think, I didn't, at no point did I think it was in until after the game was over, I realized it became a big deal. Yeah. And I, that's when I looked at even uh, some more. So when they, when the puck dropped, I really didn't think anything of it. I didn't, it wasn't in in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then after the game, it became a really, and, and for years, it became a really big thing. But I, I tipped my hat off to Daryl Sutter because right away, I think in his press yep. conference that yeah. night, he said, he said it wasn't in. And he, and he said, I, I, I think his exact words were, don't hold me to this, but where I've not seen an angle in which that puck was in. So I know Calgary fans don't want to hear that. but uh, And I think if we had the camera angles that we had now, it would have been proven so. But Before we get back to our regular programming, we need to talk about our partner, Montana's Barbecue and Bar. Taco about really? That's right. With $5 tacos available every Tuesday, satisfy any taco craving when you try their seasoned grilled chicken, Mexi spiced beef, kapow shrimp, or mixed veggie options. Mix and match to try them all or add one to the side of your favorite Montana's item. $5 tacos at Montana's Barbecue and Bar every Tuesday. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. The obvious answer may be Dave Andrewchuk to this question, so maybe let's exclude him from this. That first cup, who are you happiest for? Probably... Craig Ramsey, hmm. Craig Ramsey, because he had he had lost yeah. in the seventies. Everybody else would be equal after that. Marty, Vinny, you know, Brad Richards. That was a really tight group. I think I, I guess I think all Stanley Cup teams are probably pretty tight, but mm-hmm. um, that was a really tight group. So for me to single out any player, I can't pick Marty over Vinny or Vinny over Brad. Or I was probably closest with Brad Richards. The answer is Anderchuk. Yeah. But if you're taking him out of the equation, of, yeah. I would say it's Craig Ramsey, assistant coach. Torts too, you know, because I mean, that was an easy job coming in there and taking over that that franchise at that time, if you remember. But but I'd say Craig Ramsey. I wanted to ask you what, it was, what it's like to work like Iserman, demanding. Very. People tell me he's the most demanding guy alive. Very. But what it's done is, and now with, with Breezebois and Cooper and, and the players now, it set a tenor for the organization. Like you guys won one cup, you weren't satisfied. You won two cups, you weren't satisfied. It's like seeing how angry Hedman was on the ice after you lost last year. Like he set the tone. And I wonder what was it like around him? What was it like to work for him? One of my favorite people I've ever worked for, he is tough. He is a tough, tough boss. He's one of the wittiest guys 
I've ever been around. Cutting like, humor, like biting so, humor, so I've heard. When he's trying to be funny and he's joking around, he has the whole room in stitches. Like he is so quick-witted. I've never seen a guy faster with a one-liner. I, 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 it's amazing what he comes up with. But when he takes that same wit and he's mad at you or he's mad at somebody, the things that come out of his mouth are wow. Like it's, it, 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 he slices your aorta open and you bleed out. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's cutting, man. Like uh, I saw him one time, uh, I got stuck. It was, uh, it was during the playoff series against Detroit. I don't remember. We played them back to back years. So I don't remember what year it was, but it was going to, it had been around, it might have been 15, 16 okay. in those years. And he was a GM and it was a practice day in Detroit at the old Joe Lewis. And we were having issues with the, some of the refereeing, a, a particular issue with the refs. And Bill McCreary was the uh, off-ice official. And he came in to talk to Steve in the coach's room. And myself and Brian Garlock, the two video coaches, were in the room just doing video stuff. And Steve was not buying what Bill McCreary was trying to sell about the... And the things that came out of his mouth, I don't even remember the lines, but I just remember wanting to crawl under the table. And Brian, <laughs> uh, Brian Garlock, the other video coach, we were just looking at each other like, oh my God, like, should we be in here? But it was too late. There was no way to sneak out of there you know, quietly and effectively. I, but I wanted to hide on the table because what he was saying was just, <laughs> it was ruthless. <laughs> I, 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 find it, I find him amusing. And he's, trust me, he's torn a strip off me before too. To me, something funny about it. Because the things he says are just hilarious to me, and even when he's mad at you, they're just funny. And uh, but I've been on the uh, on the receiving end of his wrath, and it's uh, it's not a fun place to be. He's a tough boss. I didn't expect that from him at all. When he came in as a general manager, I was I, for some reason I had this different uh, impression about him. It was not that at all. Way tougher than I thought. Loved him. Loved him. People told me there's a reason he wins. Yeah, he's demanding. His expectations are really, really high. Mm-hmm. And, and the stories I've heard from uh, other guys that played for him, you know, and the way he was as a player, it, it sounded like the bar was set real high with him. And, and mm-hmm. if, if you were, there's no tolerance for anything underneath that. Well, from what I saw, I carried on over as a GM mm-hmm. uh, based on what I've heard about him. I wasn't in the locker room as a player, obviously, but he definitely set the tone for the franchise's uh, expectations. And, and there's no question he laid the foundation for our, the success we saw. I really wish he'd, it's, he'd been around for, for the, the two cups. and Because he was still, that 2019 year, I think it was the year that he'd stepped aside and was Julian had taken over, but he was still kind of consulting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that was our last opportunity with him to, and we got bounced by Columbus in the first round. So I really wish we'd pulled it out for him there, but forever indebted to that man for the hardware he put on our fingers. I'm going to ask you to talk about yourself for a sec. Yeah. Oh, what would you say? Like, don't be humble here. That's my nature. Don't be humble. Don't be humble. What would you say your greatest contribution to this team has been because this is like a wildly successful organization and they love having you around they really do <laughs> what is there are there a couple things you can point at and say yes it's a team that's mine no i i, I really don't look at it that way I, I and i hate to disappoint you with the answer but we all have to come together and play a role it's, it's like a yeah. it's like an orchestra it's a band and we all have a we all make our small contributions you know my real responsibility is to manage the video system that we have and, 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 and help with pre-scouts and that kind of stuff. So is there one thing I've done on a pre-scout that's made a difference in a game? I, I don't know for sure. We have to make the calls. I think you're being too humble. I'm not capable of, of patting myself on the back. And anyone that knows me knows I'm uncomfortable in the spotlight. So, so I've heard that before other teams have come for you. Because you know, you've been around a long time. And it's like when a team is successful... People want what makes them successful. Have you ever thought about going anywhere else? Has there ever been a time where someone said, we have another opportunity for you elsewhere and we'd love for you to bring your expertise and your knowledge with you? I almost went to Pittsburgh. I have to be careful how I say that. When I say almost went to Pittsburgh, there was a period of time where my chain was getting yanked a little bit. A bunch of years ago, a bunch of regimes ago, I wasn't getting answers about a contractor coming back or, or any, and I think they were trying to slow roll me into the end of the summer to kind of give me a, a bit of a sucker deal. And a, a coach called me with the Penguins at the time looking for somebody. And I was actually on a flight to the Virgin Islands to go on a fishing trip. 
And um, I told that coach, I said, look, I think they're messing with me here. I think they're trying to screw me over. I might be interested. And he says, Nigel, if you're available, I take you. Like, let me know. I said, listen, I, my preference is to stay in Tampa. He goes, well, if you're not going to stay in Tampa, I, I got a spot for you here. I ended up calling the head coach at the time, not the head coach now, and said, listen, I have an opportunity potentially to go to Pittsburgh. GM is not really making a move here with me. And next thing I know, I get a phone call from the general manager and we, we got something done. But yeah, and, and you know, Torch has wanted me at different times to come with him as well. I've heard that's the guy. Like, I've heard that's the guy. Yeah, and um, but I I have a great gig. And You're a lightning. Yeah, I, I, I love Tampa. My family's there too. My my parents are older. And, and um, growing up away from home, like, as, you know, I told you earlier, I left home when I was kind of nine years old. And uh, to leave again and be away from family at, at, at a later age, I, should, I didn't want to do it. And I, 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 I love Tampa. I love the organization. It's been especially great under Jeff Vinnick. I just really haven't a desire to, to leave. So I know this might kind of be like, okay, choose your favorite child here, but who are some of your favorite players that you've worked with? Like which players have you found are really interested in what you do? Oh, there's a bunch. Marty St. Louis. Um, Surprised he's a coach? No. No, didn't think, I didn't think you'd say yes. You know what? I don't think there's anything Marty St. Louis can do that can surprise me. I think he's he's one of those guys that has been underestimated his whole life, and he's always found a way to come out on top. And so I'm never going to bet. I, I I will not bet against that guy in any way, shape, or form. Cooch, actually, a couple goalies: Sean Burke, Olaf Kolzig, uh, Anderchuk, Corey Sarich. Actually. The late Brian Marchment. Yeah. Really? Eh? Yeah. Great guy. There's been a lot of guys that have uh, really been good to me and also shown a, a, a real interest in what, in what I do and, and how I can help them. So uh, those are probably the ones that stand out the most off the top of my head. There have been a couple of um, first overall picks for Tampa, two specifically Vincent LeCavalier and Steven Stamkos. One was called the Michael Jordan of hockey. <laughs> I guess, we were just, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and the other had this wild scene stamp coast campaign around him. What do you remember from those two things? The Michael Jordan of hockey first and then the, the scene stamp coast campaign. What was interesting about that one was um, we had a team dinner in um, Florida and the owner at that time met with the team this is on the heels of calling him Vinny the Michael Jordan yep. of, of hockey. And we're in a private team dinner. And that owner then went on to throw coaches and management under the bus um, with some players saying, I'm not going to say the name of the players, but yep. this player here, player A, I, I, I hear you're, you're, you don't work very hard, that you're not, a, you're not interested in getting better at your craft. And like things that are private conversations that coaches may have with management, that kind of stuff. And, and this owner was very intrusive at the time. And he shared all this stuff that we said with the players in a team dinner. Because we, we have to have frank conversations with management about players and, and this owner. So that same owner um, did that in front of the team. So I, I know you're asking about that specific remark, but when I hear that remark, I think about the dinner that followed that remark and the comments he made uh, to the team afterwards were, uh, it, it was uncomfortable. It was very, very was uncomfortable. tough to repair? Well, he only lasted a year, so uh, <laughs> he, he sold the team after a year, which was probably a good thing because he... he like he he wanted to go in the locker room and talk to the team after games all the time and 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 Phil who was a well actually he ended up getting rid of Phil Phil had to stop him on multiple occasions that that whole period was was very uncomfortable so when I think of that line I think of the owner and I think about the, the all the stuff that followed after that so what about the scene Stamkos campaign scene Stamkos well you got to remember too the franchise we we were. We had dipped by this point. This is post Stanley Cup 04. Yep. Team was on the slide. And, uh, you know, we're doing what we can. Uh, or, again, it's not my job. It wasn't my job at the time. But I think we're, they're doing everything they can to try to get fans back in the building and, and, uh, and promote the team. And, and we didn't have a lot to hang our hats on at that time, right? So Stammer was the guy. And he was the 
consensus number one pick and, and the, the, the great player that was coming up along, uh, coming next. And so, uh, we, yeah, we probably unfairly plastered him all over Tampa. Like you couldn't walk around Tampa without seeing his face with a billboard. Windshields. Everywhere. Uh, car, uh, windshields and cars everywhere. in malls. Like, Which is a lot of pressure <laughs> to put on a young player, right? Like it's everywhere you well, went. that's what we were all saying here in Canada. It's like, there's a lot of pressure that's, for this. Yeah. Kid. Like it's just this. So sometimes there might be a little bit of a disconnect between marketing and, and, uh, and, and what we, what, or what the goals are within hockey operations and the development process. So I think that's the, the, one of the times we may have failed a little bit there, but that was a funky time for the organization too, um, in, in terms of, uh, what was going on with ownership. So and I asked you earlier, you know, who are you happiest for? And you mentioned Craig Ramsey and, and one of the people that I can, I can recall because, you know, he uh, he didn't have a traditional route to the NHL, but was successful at the American League, and, and then the NHL is Jay Feaster. Oh yeah. When you guys won, because there's oh, what's this lawyer going to do in hockey, right? Like yeah. we all remember those those comments. Do you have a thought on Jay Feaster? Great boss, a, a really fun to work with, uh, very fair to all the employees and staff. He and Torts made a really good combination. Uh, I felt because. Uh, you know, Torch was the guy that had been in hockey, and, and they re- they really worked off each other well. Like Jay really relied on Torch in terms of the the hockey portion of it. He trusted Torch to pick out the players, and 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 yeah. and, and really left him alone in that regard. And Jay knew how to manage John Tortorella because John, let's face it, needs some managing at, at times, right? So I thought they were kind of a deadly combination of coworkers there and and and, and boss employee. Um, really good fit. Jay was. A very bright guy, and he knew what he was good at and what he wasn't good at, and really left the hockey to like the Bill Barbers and the uh, the scouting staff, and he kind of let them do their jobs. And uh, he was very good in terms of supporting everyone's needs, whether it was we needed to buy stuff, he made sure the money was there financially, and uh, and coaches he he let the coaching left the coaching staff alone to to run the team and and. so just got it. Really good boss. Vincent LeCavalier, did you think he was getting traded to Montreal? There was a period of time where I was concerned about that, yes. I, I, did, I did think he was going to go to Montreal at one point. So glad he didn't. But uh, yeah, yeah, for sure I thought he was going. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that All-Star game and in the airport where he was swarmed with Montreal Canadiens fans and he had this look on his on his face like, I don't know what, because it's all the rumors, right? Yeah. Like the Calvier's going to Montreal. I just remember the look on the Calvier's face almost being like like overwhelmed by like, wow, this is what it would be like to be in Montreal as everyone's just clamoring for, for you know, the next great French-Canadian yeah. centerman. Yeah, and then they they wanted him there, right? And and it, it kind of happened again fairly recently with, with Stammer. When Stammer's contract was up, there's a lot of rumors about him coming yeah. back here to Toronto. And I was concerned there too whether we were going to lose him to Toronto or not. So, but um, thankfully we were able to keep both of them. So, but yeah, I thought probably more so Vinny than than Stammer. But I, I thought I thought Vinny was going to go to Montreal at one point. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks so much for this. Thanks for your time. Been really generous. No, no, um, not a, thank you. Not so a problem. Much Happy to do it. So, thank you very much. Really hope you enjoyed that interview. You know, Nigel gave us like ninety minutes of his time. Great chats before, great chats after, and I think Elliot is on to something. I still don't get the sense that we came anywhere close to getting all the Tampa Bay Lightning stories that we wanted uh, out of Nigel. We may need to do a sequel uh, down the road. Thank you, by the way, to the Tampa Bay Lightning for making him available. And Nigel, thank you for being so generous with your time and your stories. Taking us out, a six-piece band with a rich Canadian history. Bastronaut have been around for a while. Their catalog is full of amazing sounds as well. You'll hear a clarinet, trumpet, guitar, drums, iwi. That's right, iwi. From the 2016 record, here's Bastronaut with Hawk on 32 Thoughts, the podcast.
You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.